You're listening to Straight from the Heart, the Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel, Philadelphia. Our teacher here on Straight from the Heart is Senior Pastor Joe Foch. We're currently in the New Testament, going verse by verse through the book of Mark. On today's broadcast, we'll continue our study beginning in chapter 7. Before we finish, I'll give you some additional information so you can contact us with any questions or comments. But first, open your Bible to Mark chapter 7, and let's join Pastor Joe as he continues. Mark chapter 7, beginning in verse 24, it says, And from thence he arose, and he went into the borders of Tyre and Sidon, and entered into a house, and would have no man know it, but he could not be hid. For a certain woman, whose young daughter had an unclean spirit, heard of him, and came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by nation. She besought him that he would cast forth the devil out of her daughter. Jesus said unto her, let the children first be filled, for it is not meat, it's not fitting to take the children's bread and cast it unto the dogs. She answered and said unto him, yes, Lord, yet the dogs under the table eat of the children's crumbs. He said unto her, for this saying, go thy way, the devil has gone out of thy daughter. And when she was come to her house, she found the devil gone out and her daughter laid upon her bed. I will read Matthew's account in chapter 15. You don't have to turn there. Then Jesus went thence and departed into the coasts of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with a devil. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, because she's crying after us. And he answered and said, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then came the woman and worshiped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not fitting to take the children's bread and cast it to the dogs. And she said, Truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. And then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee, even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. We have this record. Matthew and Mark together help us have a complete picture. We read through it and we read through it and we kind of jerk a little through it because it doesn't sound like Jesus. Not right to throw the children's bread to the dogs, to saying this to a broken woman who's crying. There's something about that that kind of grates on us. It sounds harsh. We're thinking, what is, you know, this is not the Jesus that we've discovered so far as we've gone through the Gospels. What's this about? And I think whenever we see something like that, that means we need to dig a little deeper because the Bible says Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. So we can't all of a sudden have, have a change of attitude. I'm sick of people. I've been trying to be the Messiah for three years. Now nobody's listening. Get lost. That's not what's happening. 
Something else is cooking here. Because he's going to say to her at the end, and he only says it to one other person in the Gospels, and you can find that person, great is thy faith. Great is thy faith. Now, he knew that from the beginning. He's leaving the area of Galilee, of Israel, because the hostility of the religious leaders has grown to a point where it is dangerous. They want to kill him. They are pursuing him to catch him in his words. There's no rest, and that hatred will ultimately culminate in the crucifixion when they hand him over to the Romans. It will grow until that event. Jesus drawing aside Tyre and Sidon, the Decapolis, then to Caesarea Philippi, spending time alone with his disciples to talk to them uh, in this strategic time as he still has many things to say to them. And he takes this trek now of over 35 miles, between 35 and 50 miles, depending on where he is in the area of Tyre and Sidon. And it's mountainous country. You've been to Israel with us and we've gone up, uh, when it was safe, we, we've been into uh, the southern Lebanon, but we go up to the border many times. And you know the way the country is up there. Imagine traveling 35 to 50 miles on foot beyond the borders of Israel. That's a long journey. That took a while. Why, as we look at this? He could have stopped short of there. I believe it's because he's headed towards this woman. I believe he knows that she's there. All it tells us is that he enters into a house. We say, well, wait a minute. What's he got, relatives up there? You know, what do you mean he enters into a house? Just anybody's house? We know Jesus doesn't have any problem making arrangements. He needs to pay taxes, go on down to the sea, the first fish you pull out, I have a coin in his mouth, pay the taxes. Boy, could have used that a month ago. It's time uh, for him to ride into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. Go on over into the city over there. You'll find a cult tied. Bring that cult to me. If anybody says anything, you say the Lord has need of him. Everything just the way he said. The arrangement's already made. He knows that. Need a place to eat the, 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 the Passover, the Last Supper. Go on over there. You'll see a man carrying a pitcher of water on his head. Follow him. He'll take you in and show you a large upper room. It's already furnished. Jesus doesn't have any trouble making arrangements, so he didn't have any trouble finding a house in Lebanon. Whose house it was, we don't know. We will find out someday, I'm sure. He enters in, it says, and would have no man know it. But I think the defining statement that everything else has to be, the grid that we put everything through says, but he could not be hid. That's a very important statement. You know, what do you mean he can't be hid? It tells us clearly in John chapter 8, verse 59, that Jesus hid himself when they wanted to kill him. There's a number of times where he passes through the mist. They want to throw him off the brow of the hill, and he just makes himself invisible or he hides himself from their eyes. Whenever he wants to, he can hide himself. We see that a number of times in the Gospels. And you know, the interesting thing is we watch Jesus, he can always hide himself from religious hypocrisy and from human pride. And he does today too. There are plenty of religious systems where Jesus can't be found. He can hide himself from human pride, from religious hypocrisy, but we never see a Jesus that hides himself from desperation, from agony, from human need. It says he could not be hid because of the need of this woman. He could have, just, he could have not come out of the house if he wanted to. He could have, hid, could have wore a disguise if he wanted to. 
There's a lot of things he could have done if he didn't want to be found. He could not be hid because of this woman. Tells us that she had heard of him. Back in chapter 3, you don't have to turn there, it says, Many people followed Jesus from Jerusalem, from Idumea, from beyond Jordan, and they about Tyre and Zidon, a great multitude, when they heard what things he did, came unto him. So a great multitude previous to this from Tyre and Sidon had come. The way it describes her as one who had heard, it doesn't seem she was among the crowd that came, but she's heard. She's heard about him. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. She had heard about Jesus and something had been planted in her heart Reason being, because she is a desperate, desperate woman. She is disillusioned. She has a young daughter, it says here. It's a diminutive term, a younger daughter, somewhere between 5 and 16, probably the word. A young daughter who is demon-possessed. That is a very desperate situation. We're not told whether she has a husband. We're not told. She has a young daughter who is demon-possessed. Now, it is difficult raising children today. There are advantages and there are disadvantages. There are advantages raising children today because we can get most of them to adulthood. It doesn't mean they'll all be sane when they get there, but we can get them there. You look at Susanna Wesley, out of 19 children, nine of them died. There was cholera, there was scarlet fever. Those of you who are older here remember when we had problems with polio and tuberculosis here in this nation. Uh, Martin Luther, six kids, two of them died before adulthood. It's remarkable that you can have a brood of children and raise them all to adulthood today. We have the means, we have public health, we have, we have clinics that we can go to, we have antibiotics, we have, there are some advantages. We have Christian schools, there are some good things that we have. There are some disadvantages. This is the first generation that is being constantly washed with the media that no generation had ever been washed, you know, over and over and over and over and over and over again and infected with those things in many ways. Now, imagine on top of that, this young girl is demon-possessed. And this mom, no doubt, is not only desperate, I would imagine she is guilty. She, for a young girl to be demon-possessed, you know, we hear about demon-possession, we think, well, somebody's got to be involved with a Ouija board or, you know, a, the occult or drugs. Or how does a young girl, 13, 14, 12 years old, end up demon-possessed? And this woman's a Seraphonician. She's a Gentile. She's from the area with, where Baal was worshipped and where Ashtora was worshipped. Had she already yielded her young daughter to be initiated sexually in the temple to Ashtora, which was young, your young daughters were taken there and initiated sometimes. Had they already been involved in a human sacrifice? Had they, you know, what has happened? This mother perhaps has played some role in helping to create this present condition because the child was being raised in an immoral, a seductive and violent society. You can't relate to that, I'm sure. Raising a child in a seductive and violent society. And we have a picture of utter desperation coming to Jesus. But more than that, it's complete disillusionment. And whenever complete disillusionment and Jesus meet face to face, great things go on. 
You see, even the problem with some Christians is they're still not disillusioned. Disillusion is when you have no illusions left. And even Christians still sometimes worship mammon. Christians make excuses. They can still worship Bacchus. They can go out and drink and it's no problem. Or they can still do this. People in this world worshiping drugs or finding every cruel master that's out there. And what happens is finally they stand around. Their life is completely empty. They are disillusioned. There's no illusions left. And when there's no illusions left and you're completely empty, she has no answers up here. But she's heard about Jesus. She's heard about this one who's opening the eyes of the blind. He's casting out demons. He's cleansing lepers. He's talking about God's love and God's kingdom. And now he's come to her neighborhood. <clears throat> she would never have dreamt that. He's in the area. She might have been saying, oh God, if you're the true God, if this prophet, if this is the Messiah, oh God, hear my prayer. I don't know. But she comes to him. And she says, oh Lord, have mercy on me, thou son of David. The religious leaders in Israel were not willing to say that. They were not willing to receive him as Messiah. She's coming to him, not to a system. This isn't just believing information. This isn't just believing the Bible in, in that sense. The, the Pharisees had many of them, the first five books committed to memory. Jesus said, you search the scripture because you think in them you have life in them, but these are they that testify of me. The woman had heard the testi testimony of him and she was coming to him. Oh Lord, have mercy on me, thou son of David. Now it tells us in Matthew that he answered her not a word. Now what does that mean? Why is it written there? He, he knows that she has great faith. He's revealed himself to her. It says he could not be hid. What is he working through here? I don't know, but I, one of the things that bothers me as I look at this, I think, Lord, are you trying to tell me that sometimes when I'm desperate and I seek you in prayer and all I get for an answer is silence, that that's okay? Because his silence is not denial. He's going to deliver the girl. He's going to respond to her. He's eliciting something from this woman. He's working with something he knows is there that he's not finding in Israel. And yet she cries out to him, calls him the right name, acknowledges who he is. That's more than he's getting back in, in Israel. Oh, Lord, have mercy on me, thou son of David. And he's silent. And as if that's not discouraging enough, it says the disciples are saying, send her away, Lord. She's crying after us. These are the apostles. Send her away. That's their philosophy of ministry. <laughs> send her away. Those two mistakes in their statement. One is, Jesus doesn't send people away when they're broken. Please don't ever turn away from Jesus because of the way a Christian treats you. You, you should have learned that lesson by now with all these people here to teach it to you. <laughs> we, have a, we have a big laboratory. Don't ever turn away from Jesus because of how you're treated by a believer. These are the apostles. They're human. They have feet of clay. They're saying, Lord, we're tired. You told us before we were going to rest and 10,000 people came. Now we went 35 miles out of the way. You say we're going to rest now. It's starting all over again. Send her away. That wasn't the heart of Christ. And the second mistake was they said, she's following after us. Jesus said, us who? She ain't following after you. She's following after me. What do you mean us? 
she ain't following after. There's no us she's following after. <laughs> following after us. He wasn't following after us, she was following after him. It says then Jesus says, now he's talking to the disciples, not to her. I am not come but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He doesn't say I've come to the house of Israel. He says I've come to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Those are two different things. And he's saying that to the men now, not to her. No doubt she hears it. But he's saying it to the men because he doesn't want them to misconstrue what's going on. The religious leadership has become hostile. He's left the coast of Israel, but he hasn't left his ministry to Israel. He is the Messiah of Israel, the son of David. He hasn't left the territory in regards to completing the work that the Father's given him. He's withdrawn into Gentile territory, not to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. He's not done with his work yet. He has to be crucified first. That statement is made to them in the grammar indicates that because they had made the last statement to him, send her away. He says, look guys, I'm not sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now this is for her discouragement after discouragement in some way. First, he's completely silent to her. Secondly, his representatives are saying, send her away. She gets past that. That's why he says she's got great faith. Now she hears Jesus say, I'm not sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. She says, well, I, I, I know you're the Jewish Messiah. She called you son of David. I, I'm outside of that covenant. I'm a Gentile. And finally it says she comes and falls down and worships him and just simply says, Lord, not son of David, Lord, help me. Completely transparent. She worships him. Lord. No games left. No Every illusion washed away, every bit of idolatry in the world come to fruition and become a cruel master in her life and destructive. There is nothing in Tyre and Sidon that has any answer for her. There is one and he has come into her neighborhood and she is looking at him face to face and she is not going to allow silence or disciples or any, th any ethnicity, anything, turn her away. She is now before him worshiping, saying, Lord, help me. Now, I think he's going to say at this point, I wish every Jew was like you. I wish people responded like you. She's pouring out her guts. And he says, hey, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. <laughs> this is where, wait a minute. We want the other Jesus back. It's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. It's not fitting. It's not right. Now, it was a proverb in that day. And there's something interesting in the grammar. You have to understand that the, the Jews called the Gentiles goyim, dogs. They didn't have curse words like we do today. If you want to be vulgar, you have a great advantage. You have a whole vocabulary you can choose from to prove how vulgar you are. The Jews had to call you something else, a dog. We have sanctified misguidedly some things. We have heck, we're Christians, we have darn, you know, we've, we've created our own vocabulary for frustration. But, but he doesn't say 
It's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. He doesn't use the derogatory term, the scavengers, the dogs that live in the street that scavenge, because that's what Israel considered the Gentile world, outside of God's house, scavengers without direction, living off of. That's not the word he uses. He uses a word that means little dog or house dog, canarion. It's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the puppies under the table. Different term. And this woman says, truth, Lord, I am not a Jew. I am not part of the house of Israel. Yet the dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their masters table. The dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And the crumb that she took hold of was the word, canarion. She said, all right, I'm willing to, to take that. I'll be the house dog. As long as it's your house, as long as it's your table. Because to me, you seem to be the kind of Lord that lets crumbs fall to your dogs. And I'll take the canarion portion, Lord. Just give me the house dog crumbs, as long as it's your house. I'll take it. That's when Jesus looked at her and said, Woman, great is thy faith. Great is thy faith. Lord, the crumbs in your house are enough for me and my daughter. From that very hour, he said, go on, your daughter's healed. No, no big exorcism program here. No big, we don't even know what happened. Some demon somewhere just knew he had to get out. You know, just had to leave. <laughs> Gone. She comes home and her daughter's resting, sleeping on her bed. Now, I look at it and I think, it says after this, when we follow him, particularly Matthew, he goes back to the area of Israel again, and the, and the multitudes throng him again, and he begins healing them. Without them asking, without them begging, he's just healing. But I wonder how many of them came to saving faith. And I wonder how many of them came to lasting faith. Because this woman came with genuine faith in the beginning. Oh Lord, thou son of David, I know who you are. Have mercy. Oh, Lord, help me. Oh, Lord, as long as it's your table that I'm under, I'll be the canarion in your house. Give me the crumbs, Lord. Because even in another person's house, the dogs get the crumbs from their masters. Let me have yours. Great is thy faith. Came home, that little girl was fixed. She's in her right mind. You know, I guarantee you that at the end of that day when that woman went home and found her daughter whole, all of her regrets were washed away. From that day onward, she stood and she said, Lord, all of the difficult times, all of those things are the things that brought me face to face with you. If I hadn't had those difficulties, I'd have never been disillusioned. I'd have never cried out. I'd have never come to you. Lord, it was the pain and the difficulty of those things that made me close enough to see you face to face, to persistent enough to hold on to you, Lord. And I would do it all over again.
that concludes our teaching time here on Straight from the Heart. If you enjoyed today's message from Mark chapter 7 and would like to hear it again in its entirety, you can listen to it on our website for free at www.ccphilly.org. Just go to our homepage and click on Listen to Current Messages, then select Straight from the Heart and click on the study with today's date. Today's message number is SAM304. That's SAM304. You can also listen to today's teaching from Mark chapter 7 or any other message from Genesis to Revelation by downloading our free app on your tablet or mobile device. Just go to your app store and search for Calvary Chapel Philadelphia or go to our website and click the link for the mobile app. In addition to our app, you can also study the Bible with Pastor Joe by subscribing to our Straight from the Heart radio podcast available on Apple, Google, and Spotify. If you have any questions or comments about today's message, or maybe would like to let us know how the Lord has blessed you through Pastor Joe's teaching, we'd love to hear your feedback. Feel free to contact us by email at radio at ccphilly.org. That's radio at ccphilly.org. For more information on this broadcast or Calvary Chapel, Philadelphia, don't forget to visit our website at ccphilly.org. While you're visiting our website, make sure you check out our Daily Devotions page. By subscribing to Daily Devotions with Pastor Joe, you can receive a short, encouraging video message every weekday morning in your email. If you prefer not to use email, you can also find Daily Devotions with Pastor Joe on our free app or by subscribing to our Daily Devos podcast. Thanks for listening, and remember to join us next time as we continue with more great Bible teaching that comes straight from the heart.